Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Roland Rotz, PhD. He's a clinical psychologist and director of the Lifespan Development Center in Carpinteria, California. For over 30 years, Dr. Rotz has specialized in providing a full range of diagnostic and clinical services to children and adults. He focuses on appreciating and embracing the complexities of the unique characteristics associated with ADHD, gifted, twice exceptional, sensory dysregulated, and learning challenged students. To empower the unique strengths of those with ADHD, Dr. Rotz wrote a book, Fidget to Focus, Outwit Your Boredom, Sensory Strategies for Living with ADD. As a nationally recognized expert on ADHD, he consults and presents both locally and nationally. Welcome, Dr. Rotz. It's nice to be here with you. Yeah, so I'm, I've been wanting to interview you because I've heard about the work that you do with patients and clients who suffer from ADD. And I know you work throughout the age range and you work with adults as well with ADD. And I'm just curious about why someone might choose a specialist and what it means to be a specialist working with ADHD. Yeah, well, that's a big question, but I think um, it would literally start with years ago when I started the first support group for adults with ADHD. It was out of frustration in working with their children and finding that the parents weren't following through very well with the problems. And then things grew from there, kind of recognizing that there are many adults. And I mean, this was a time when we thought you grew out of it as a teenager, And there were many adults who continued to struggle with all the symptoms of of staying focused, being organized, forgetting things, just, oh my gosh, it just would go on and on and on. And so they needed help too. And that was the point where I started doing assessments. And then that was down in San Diego. And that that group actually continues to go today. It's it's a great, great group. So was it called Parents of Children with ADD who have ADD themselves? (laughs) Actually, we thought about that, but we decided we would just go right at it and call it, this is an adult ADHD, and actually it was adult ADD at the time, adult ADD support group, and it was standing room only for years, literally, just because people were so frustrated. And I think, you know, your your question about why would somebody come and see someone who has skills and understanding and experience in addressing adults with ADHD it's out of so much frustration. You know, we all will lose our keys from time to time. We'll all forget something or have that, you know, that experience of, wait, why did I come into this room and not remember? And that's not uncommon. But when it starts crossing over into the frequency of just repeated forgetfulness, not doing what you promise, a lot of relationships break up over failed promises just repeatedly, right? Disorganization, poor planning, a big one. I see a lot of 30-somethings around poor impulse control. They're just fed up with losing friends and tired of of just being hurt one more time by another lost job. Had one guy who told me, I've had 30 jobs before I was 30, you know, and and finally figured out what to do. And he's self-employed now. Right. So I said, oh, that's bad because now everybody is your boss. Yeah. 
But um, those are the primary themes that show up. It, it have, I do a lot of work with um, college students and graduate students, and a lot of it has to do with figuring out how to get through their day, being organized, planning it out, but not doing what they planned is a common, common theme. And so it, it becomes a real struggle for how do I manage myself? How do I regulate myself? And how do I get myself through this life? So I guess my question is, so are your interventions skill-based interventions or are they insight-based interventions? What is, or is it both? Oh, wow. Great question. Great question. You've done this before. It's actually a combination. And I tell people, we're going to work at this level and we're going to work at this level. If we only work at this level, that skill-based, where if this is really about learning strategies, having a bag of tricks that you go into your day with every day, you'll use them and then you'll suddenly not use them and you'll go, well, why didn't I use them today? Or why did I forget to do that? That was a great idea. And then you just don't use it. And that's where it comes into more of that insightful piece, because um, like Russell Barkley once once talked about ADHD as a breakdown in someone's ability to motivate themselves to achieve a future goal. The immediate goal is like procrastination. Well, we can do it because our anxiety is actually our neurostimulant in that way. But the breakdown in, in actually accomplishing the steps to achieve a future goal is really where the major challenge is and requires a lot of incentives and different things to build into it. And then if you add into that, the other part about insight is that I, I think no one comes into this kind of therapeutic environment without having some hurt, some damage, either trauma, anxiety, depression, because it's not been working. And anxiety is usually the spin up of trying to make it work. And they worry about making sure they remember everything. Well, what happens when that fails over time? You start to feel hopeless and helpless. I have to tell you, though, the one beautiful thing about working with ADD folks is always paying attention to everything. It's the opposite of what we usually think. Like they're not paying attention. No, it's they're noticing everything. So as soon as something fails, it's like, oh, well, okay, we'll try that, you know, and and so willing to kind of consider alternatives. Well, you mentioned the kind of attending to everything. And I think that's something to explain a bit more to the listener, because we often think, or the public often thinks of ADD as not paying attention to anything. So can you clarify that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really good one because, I mean, for years it was that ADD was this absence of, of attention. And, and again, it's interpreted from someone looking at someone with ADD. You look at that person and when they're off looking at something else, then the assumption is that they're not paying attention, which in part may be true. But in fact, um, I think what certainly my experience in those observations that, uh, that the support group would help me with and, and just kind of identifying things that prompted that book, Fidget to Focus, was recognizing that our sensory system is on constant alert and it's actually being utilized as an arousal system, if you will. So if, if the brain is dysregulated, absence of dopamine, not enough there to allow for focus, we don't just sit there and kind of stare off into the distance, right? What happens is people start looking around and they look for neurostimulants, which operate as novelty items. They operate as unique 
different, whatever that might be. Definitely interesting versus boring. Okay, so all of these things work in a way that allows one to um, just really begin to utilize any level of neurostimulant, like those sensory stimulants, to actually pay more attention. So I learned this because I'm working with a little boy years ago, and of course he's not looking at me, he's looking around. And I go, Joey, you know, it'd be helpful. You know, you look at me, you know, while we talk. And so he does that and he's looking at me, he goes, Dr. Rotz, you have a big nose. So he's doing what he's needing to do, which is using his visual as a stimulant, but it's not really assisting him being able to listen because this is a boring event, right? Compared to things that you might notice out there. So it's not uncommon that somebody might, for example, look around as they're talking to you and they're using that as a background fill-in kind of stimulation in order to be able to still pay attention. Students talk about that all the time in school. Teachers test them. Now, what was I asking you, Joey? And Joey, of course, answers. You can answer fine, right? So, so I think we use all of our sensory system that way. It's, it's not just the fidgety, wiggly foot, that kind of a thing. But I think people fidget with their eyes. They fidget with their hearing. One of my favorites is students who will talk about listening to this high-intense music that just is, is a heavy, heavy beat. And they'll be listening to that while they're doing their homework. And parents are looking at them going, how can they do that? Isn't that distracting? Isn't it preventing them from doing that? And I said, well, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And in fact, they're, they're getting good grades, but it's operating as almost like an organizing influence instead of daydreaming and now suddenly being off in la-la land somewhere thinking about something else when they really need to be focused on their homework. Doodling, same thing. Just so many different examples of how people do one sensory modality while they're doing something else, listening to a lecture and doodling. Well, I'm assuming that's something you explore with people too and trying to figure out ways in which they can focus their attention on things that need to be attended to. In, for a college student, we talk about what notes are you taking? Because they'll either write everything down or they'll write nothing down and really not process it. So we talk about how to be more efficient with your notes. And then in those blank times when the professor's off talking about something else, doodle. But doodling, key piece, what the research shows is this is not drawing a picture of the Eiffel Tower or your mother or something like that. This is literally repetitive motor activity. So it's like boxes or circles or just squirrelies or whatever it might be, but it's background and background is a key factor in that. When you talk about all these ways to focus attention, it makes me think about stimulant medication or medication you would use for ADD. So I'm curious how, in the idea, in the ideal world, of course, you would like to teach skills that would then allow someone to attend without relying on these medications. How does your work kind of jive with the use of medication? How do you see that? I'm just curious how you talk with people about that. Yeah, you know, certainly I I would, you know, I disclose partly that fact that I I have ADHD, right, and had it for years, didn't identify it until I was an adult, and started taking medication way back then. And I I often describe medication as like putting on glasses, right? And and like, take these, 
put them on, and now you're focused during the time that you have your glasses on, right? And then you're not as focused. If I take my glasses off, I can squint, I can get through the day, I can get a majority of things done, I'm a lot more tired at the end of the day, but it is still accomplishable. I feel like these are all tricks in your bag, which include medication. In fact, in many ways, the medication, my preference for medication is that you use it almost like a background. It's like your backbone. It's not something that, okay, now I'm medicated and I can feel it and I know it's working. I think that creates forced choice and it may not be the most effective way to use the medication. But the other way means that you're more active and using strategies to facilitate that. But it's a focus that leads to choice. And you still have to choose to do your homework, to do your your tasks, to do what you promised, right? To make sense of your day and organize it, plan it out. So I think medication, I think it can be a really big and supportive, helpful part. And all the research certainly points to the blend of the two being the most effective strategy for long-term benefit. Mm-hmm. Right. I wonder if you could clarify what an ADD coach is. That's great. Well, the book I wrote, I wrote it with a a gal who got me to write it. If you have ADHD, you know, it's hard to sit down and sequence your thoughts and get them out. And several people had tried to get me to write this book that I've been presenting on nationally for a while and hadn't, hadn't written it. And she did get it done. Sarah, I'll always appreciate her, Sarah Wright. And we still talk today about things. But in her work, she went on to be an ADHD coach. She was she was a mother. She was an engineer, for God's sakes, you know, had developed skills to do that. So what, what we did and spent a long time talking about is what's the difference between the two? You know, I mean, ADHD coaches can be very effective in what they do. But in many ways, part of their work is recognizing the difference between kind of the limits of what a coach can do. And also for therapists, does it incorporate part of their training? So there's a lot of overlap when we talk about training of executive functions and things like that and building that skill set, a lot of overlap. But coaches aren't trained to really address like the co-occurring depression anxieties, all of the other things that could be there, um, traumas, that oftentimes ADHD can be part of the activity, can be preventing seeing those things, or they could be so locked in together that you start treating the ADHD and the other stuff starts to really pop up. Sometimes it goes away, but sometimes it can really pop up. So from a coaching perspective, you know, you're really working on strategies, taking somebody where they are, and moving them forward, where kind of the therapeutic intervention is, okay, we take where you are today, we certainly want to move you forward, but sometimes that takes a few steps backward in order to kind of understand and know why, but also incorporate some of those those failure experiences and, and to redo those in a way. It's almost like creating a new narrative. Does, right. Did that make sense? I mean, there's a yeah, lot. Yeah, it does. And it kind of makes me think this idea, there's just, it is complex, right? And so when someone does decide yeah. to find a treatment that's hopefully going to help them move forward and kind of live a life that they're wanting for themselves in terms of attention and focus and lack of procrastination and all those things, 
there's a lot of things that come up from that. And there's this idea of like this new normal and how to get used to that. Right. And how to think about kind of who they are now without that ADD really dragging them down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and a lot of it has to do with the person that you're working with, right. Feeling like that person gets me and they can really help me move forward with this. Right. So I'm wondering about the group because you started by talking about the group. So is the group more just of support to say, you know, this is hard. It's hard to be dealing with this as an adult. Does that group teach skills? What is the focus of the group? I'm not doing it right now. It's being done down in San Diego um, and I'm not there. I'm up in Carpinteria. But what we always had done is we'd always said, okay, the group's primary goal is is to be a support system and so what is supportive right and so ultimately what becomes supportive are strategies like like coming in going i'm so frustrated i have trouble you know kind of getting organized in the morning how can i do that you know how can i get started in my day well what if somebody across the room says me too. Uh, that's exactly my problem is. And we've certainly recognized that sometimes the notion of study buddy or accountability friend or co-coach works very, very well. And so two people connect up and then they find that when they do it together, like go in, connect up at the beginning of an hour and say what they're going to accomplish in the next hour and then go do it and then come back at the end of the hour going, okay, how did we do, right? That, that becomes a huge advantage for two people in the same group. And what we found is that, you know, people would bring amazing strategies, you know, to, to the group in terms of what's worked for them or, or even what's not worked, but allowing, allowing people to move forward. It's just amazing too, when you felt like you've been alone all of your life and no one's really understood you. And now suddenly to have a room full of people all nodding their head going, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's powerful. a, it's a powerful experience. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So I think this has been really helpful for me just to understand the work that you do. And because there aren't that many psychologists or therapists that do specialize in this. I'm glad to know one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure that you've, I mean, you've seen so many ADD cases and have seen so many variations in how ADD presents and how kind of the course of treatment and over the course of someone's life. So, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess this idea of kind of pearls of wisdom that you have about ADD or treatment or how living with ADD, I guess I just wanted to ask you if any kind of words of wisdom about it for the listener. We are like-minded. I was just thinking, what's one thing that I would tell you that, that just is, is the thing that I, I encourage everybody to just constantly be aware of and kind of realize, I would say it's to know that ADHD doesn't go away. And in seeing that, it's like, okay, so what do you do with this? Because it's just always there. And the answer is yes, it's always there. And it's like every day waking up, knowing that how do I self-regulate? I mean, and for me, that's the words, what's next? What's next? What's next? And if I don't remember to do that, I need to set a timer to do it. I need to find a way that that, just that simple piece of information with having strategies in place that allow me to just kind of check in with myself because we are awful with timing, right? <laughs> that that self-regulation really affects timing and being able to manage things. And so it's a big part of how to do this life by just noticing 
and just staying on top of that noticing. And then when you fall off the horse, you just get right back up. No harm, no foul. Um, One woman called it in the old um, GPS systems that would go recalculating. It's like that. Just get back upon and keep going. Do it again and again and do it every day. Now, it sounds a little boring, but you learn how to mix it up, right? And so boredom, kiss of death, always looking for interesting, new, novel, unique, and kind of creating experiences. And that's just a great life when you think about it. Yeah. And it makes me also think about kind of the the blessing in some ways of ADD, right? And that, you know, a lot of very successful people have ADD and this idea that there's part of that that's actually brought them that success to some degree. Absolutely. That that gift of ADD is that noticing everything like we were talking about. But now what do you do with it when you notice it? How do you manage it? Because it's the creative ones. It's the it's the CEOs who have this uncanny ability to see where other people can't out of the box seeing. Yeah. Right. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your your expertise and knowledge with us about this topic. Yeah, it's my it's my pleasure. Actually, I enjoy talking about this stuff. The listener who's listening might be interested because they might think they might have ADD or know they have ADD or know somebody and wondering about kind of the, what's available to them in terms of services. So I'll make sure that we have your information on our episode description so they can learn more about you or just about ADD in general. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, happy to do that. I have a website and so people can learn about it from there too as well. Right. Yeah. All right, well, thanks so much. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and nine offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.